Entonces, our last message on James hits some pretty tough issues. Trying to be as genuine and as real as possible. Is God listening? Where is he in times of need? Why doesn't he answer our prayers? Here is a glimpse into a life of a man who is struggling with faith, hope, life, love. His whole relationship to God. Maybe that's where you are today. And I want to ask you this morning about your prayer life. I want to ask you about your relationship with the Lord Himself. Do you ever have trouble praying the way you think you should? What makes praying difficult for you? Is it that you don't have enough time? Uh, people I talked to said, that's my problem. I have no time left for that. Is it that so many distractions command your attention? You can never find that time. Are you struggling with doubts? Why pray? I've got any answers. I haven't got what I was hoping for. Why bother? God doesn't really answer my prayers. Some people can only pray for two or three minutes. Other people can pray for an hour. Why is that? Some have no scheduled time for prayer at all. Instead, they kind of have one long conversational prayer with God all day long. Some people's prayers flow out of their hearts with ease. You know, they just open their mouth and this beautiful prayer comes out. And others of us struggle. Struggle so much for the right words to say. How do you pray? Is prayer a struggle for you today? James finishes his letter talking about prayer. I want to encourage you this morning to keep on praying, whether you struggle or not. Because you can't pray as you can't. You can only pray as you can. So don't pray as you can't. Pray as you can. Whatever it is you have. Whatever it is you have to offer. Whatever it is you have to say. However you can listen to God, pray. And if you keep praying any way you can pray, then you will grow in your capacity for prayer. And your relationship with God will blossom. Prayer is communicating with Almighty God. You ever stop to think about that? You ever stop to think how awesome it is that God wants to talk with you? There's 7 billion people around here. And God wants to talk with you and me. And God wants to know everything that's going on in your life. And sometimes you just sit in awe. Like, why me? Why, why would you have any time left for me? In her book, Fervent, which our ladies class just finished studying, I understand, Priscilla Shire said, despite what we may or may not understand about prayer, God has deliberately chosen this particular vehicle as the one that drives his activity in people's lives. It's what he allows us to cooperate and partner with him in, in the fulfilling of his will. He's created prayer as a primary way of putting us into personal contact with him and with his eternal realities any hour of the day or night. It is an amazing gift, this thing we call prayer. It is an amazing function of our lives that can really change anything about them. 
James has some really good things to say about prayer. He tells us how to pray, when to pray, why to pray. And God wants through this, these few words at the end of this letter to give us some very encouraging, life-changing things about prayer if we are listening. So are we listening? Are we listening to what God has to say as we conclude this study? As we finish this study of the Life Apps, I hope that you will take some notes. In the back of your bulletin is a place to do that if you need a place to write down a few things so that later on you can reflect on that. And if you've missed anything in this study, I want to encourage you to go back and try and pick those up uh, online at the church website. Let's review together some of these life apps that we've uh, looked at over the course of this study. We talked about trials and tests and how they're not meant to make us fail but to give us strength and to help us uh, grow and persevere. We talked about overcoming temptation and some very real ways to do that. James is so practical in that. Talked about religion is is uh, in the real world is, is service. It's helping other people. It's loving people. It's loving widows and, and orphans and, and other kinds of people. And that we are called to love everybody, which is not always so easy. We talked about a faith uh, that saves us. If you receive the salvation God gives you, then that same faith is a faith that does something. It works for God. Otherwise, that's not legitimate faith. You're just receiving and there's no giving. And we talked about our tongues and how difficult it is to get them under control and, and some advice and, and words of, of admonition there. We talked about wisdom. We talked about submitting to God and resisting the devil and, and how your whole life sets that pattern. Constantly surrendering to God and constantly saying no to the evil one who wants to trip us up. We talked about the perils of playing God and trying to pretend things and trying to control things. And we talked about money and stewardship and where God wants us to live on that. And then last week, we prayed for patience. I know I was always taught, don't pray for patience because God's going to give you something. He's going to teach you patience. But James says that's what we need to do. Patiently wait on God and not trust in ourselves. And so we're kind of following on the heels of that last message and we want to talk about prayer today. And James speaks some very powerful things in verses 13 through 20 about this. So here's James drawing his letter to a close. He wants us to learn to pray, but to pray with confidence. Pray even with boldness. Trusting that God will hear and answer our prayers. And this is what God wants us to have. He wants us to have a relationship with Him where we walk in that confidence. Not in ourselves but in confidence in God, confidence that he will hear answer our prayers, and God will do what God wants to do. As I was thinking about prayer, I thought of some of these amazing promises that Jesus made. If you flip through the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying things like this. In Matthew 21, 22, he says, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In Mark 11, 24, very similar, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Wow. John 14, 13. It says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. You, know, that you would bring glory to God by answering that. John 15, 7. He says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now we're seeing some qualifications to this. You, know, you don't just ask for a new car. And a new car magically appears in your driveway. But you ask according to the name of Jesus, according to the will of Jesus, according to what God wants to see happen, 
And we are guaranteed that God is going to somehow accomplish that. May not be the way we dream. May not be in the timing that we have. But ask whatever, and you will be given these things. Almost 60 years after Jesus' resurrection, he went back to the Father. The Apostle John, who had heard him say these words, was still saying with great confidence very similar words. 1 John 5, 14, he says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask. So God has given us some amazing promises. And he's extended prayer to us as a communication between us and God. So let's see what James says about this. James 5.13 Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. As James wraps up this letter to Christians everywhere, he leaves us with this important instruction. And this is it, kind of in a nutshell today. Pray in every situation. Pray in everything that may happen to you, in every circumstance, in every uh, event of your life, so that you will stay close to the Lord. Stay in communication with God. Then your confidence will be in Him, not in yourself. And then he elaborates on that. He says, in verse 13, there's different circumstances, different situations of life that arise. Let me give you three, James says. Are you troubled? Are you happy? Are you sick? Oh, there could be many more, but he says these are things that happen to us all the time. How do you respond to each of these? If one of these things is true in your life, what should you do? Very simple, very straightforward. This is the way James talks. Are you troubled? Are you in trouble? Pray to God. Pray to God, because he cares, because he can do something about it. He can always do something about your troubles, and he wants to do something about it. So if you're in trouble, if you're troubled, pray to God. Are you happy with your present circumstances? You know, some of you are on a, a mountain high. I had somebody share before the service today something that's going on in their life. I was I was blown away by that, because it's been something that you prayed for a long time. And I, they're so excited for them, because they're so excited. Are you happy? Then praise God. Again, the praise goes to Him. Praise Him with songs of joy. Praise Him with songs of gratitude. Realize where your blessings come from and rejoice in the Lord. Are you sick? Literally, it says, are you weak? Could be physical sickness. Could be spiritual sickness. Could be all kinds of things. Are you, are you down and hurting? Are you struggling? Then seek God's healing in your life. Ask the elders of the church, he says specifically, pray over you, anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Seek God's healing in your life, whatever your weakness may be. Now these are three possible scenarios where we can find ourselves. But there are often many more. Did you notice that in all three scenarios, James is saying, go to God. Go to God. Go to God. Got this problem? Go to God. Got this problem? Go to God. If you're joyful, go to God. 
Take it to God. Take your circumstances, good or bad, to God. But is that what we actually do? Not always. Let's, let's be honest. Not always do we go to God. If we are troubled, some of us just try and figure it out on our own, don't we? We just say, All right, huh, let me think about that. Let me research this. Let me, let me dwell on this. Let me you know, be anxious over this. Worry about this. We don't think about taking it to God. Or maybe we go to our friends and, and we ask them what we should do. It's rare, isn't it, that the first response is, go to God. But James says, are you troubled? Are you in trouble? Go to God. Or if we're happy about our circumstances, we may even try to somehow take credit for the good things that have happened. You know, look how hard I worked. Look what I got for this. Look what came to me. It must be because I'm so good looking. Or maybe because I have such a wonderful family that this thing has happened to us. God has just pouring out some blessing on us. And we take some kind of credit for it. We forget, as the Bible says, that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. There is no gift you get except God made it possible for you and me to have. If we are weakened physically or spiritually, do we put our confidence in God or in man to heal us? You know, Do we run first to the doctor or to the psychiatrist or to the, the you know, self-help books that are on the shelf in the bookstore? Where do we go for this, this need that we have in our life? We're feeling weak or maybe we're actually physically sick. And we want to we find an answer every case. James says, go to God. Take it to God. Now, prayer doesn't guarantee that we get everything we want. Prayer doesn't guarantee that we will get our heart's desire. But through prayers, we are acknowledging our need for God and asking Him to do whatever He thinks is best. We are acknowledging that God is in control and that our trust is in Him. Through prayer, we demonstrate our confidence in God, not in man. If that is your first response, then you are saying, my confidence is in God, not in me, not in other people, not in the doctor, not in the lawyers, not in my boss, not in my paycheck, not in my family even. My confidence is in God and in God alone. If we are troubled with any kind of trouble, God will help us work it out. He will make the best of any situation. He's done that over and over again in my life. He's done it in your life. No matter how terrible it may get, God is the one to go to. And if we are excited about our blessing. We must be truly grateful for God's grace that has allowed those blessings to flow into our lives. And if we are not well physically, some of you are not well physically today. If we are not well spiritually, and some of us are not well spiritually today, no one is better to turn to than God. For He has the power and the ability to make us well in body and in spirit. Now, think about this for a moment. James is talking about if you're sick, Call the elders. Have them pray over you. Anoint them with oil. It's a very, very good thing to do. We encourage that to happen. And, and if you are sick, this is a perfect thing to do. Bring in the leaders of the church, the people that you trust for spiritual leadership in your life. Have them pray over you and lift you up together before the Lord, even anointing you with oil, physically doing that. And we kind of gravitate towards, towards these physical needs in our lives, don't we? Let's be careful about this. Let's be careful that all of our prayers aren't about the physical needs of our lives. Because James very quickly changes the emphasis to the spiritual brokenness of our life was actually a bigger issue. Actually a more difficult issue. Even as we were asking the elders to pray for us and anoint us with oil in the name of the Lord, James emphasizes 
how the Lord will lift us up and he will make us well. And then he quickly adds, if you have sinned, you will be forgiven. Which is greater? Being cured of a disease? Disease causing you pain, anguish, you know, just, just a lot of hardship? Or being forgiven of your sins? Which is greater? Being forgiven of your sins every time. Because one is, an, is a temporal, is a physical aspect of this short period of time that we have here on earth. The other one is an aspect of eternity. It is, it is a difference of whether or not you're going to be with God for eternity. And that's so much greater. There's no comparison between the two. Are you sinning? Are you caught in sin? And James says, confess that sin to each other and pray to God. And you'll be spiritually healed, which is far better than physical healing, as wonderful as that is. You will be forgiven of your sins. In the second half of verse 16, James says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, some of you know the old King James version of saying that. You remember what it is? How it says it? Yeah, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let's put that up there on the screen for a minute, please, Jonathan. Now, here's one place that the old is better than the new. The old translation is actually better than the new one. And that's because the way James put this in the letters, he wrote it in Greek, it, it was the emphasis was on two attributes of the person who was doing the praying. What makes prayer effective in your life and not in mine? What makes your prayer effective in the life of your wife but not in you? Or maybe in your friend but not in you? And James really focuses in on two things here. And so to say the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much really brings this out a lot better because these are powerful words that are packed into that. What makes prayer avail much? Two things. The fervency of the one doing the praying and brings out this word. It's actually the word we get energy from. The, the effort, the pouring forth of, of direct effort and work and, and striving and passion and zeal for what you're praying for. Literally, the energy and the intensity of your prayers. And sometimes what prevents our prayers from going anywhere or being effective is we really don't care that much. Uh, it's really a hot button for me today. But you forget all about it next week. You know, is, is it really your passion that your children would come to know God? Guess what? You're going to pray about that every day. There's going to be fervency to that prayer. But if you prayed about it on child dedication day and you never prayed about it since, it's not really fervent prayer, is it? But if you're carrying it before the Lord and you're asking for it before the Lord and you're saying, God, this is, this, is, this is my heart. This is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what you desire. Let's do this. That's fervency in the prayer. The second thing that James points out is the righteousness of the one praying. We don't want to deal with this very much because now this gets a little bit too personal. This is a little bit too tough. This is talking about the moral goodness, the blamelessness of the one doing the praying. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Oh. That means I've got to become a better person. I've got to allow God to work. I've got to allow God to, to change me. 
And as I become this better, more righteous, blameless person, my prayers will multiply in their effectiveness. I really like what Henry Blackaby said. If our prayer life is not accomplishing much, what should we do? If we are praying but seeing no results, should we conclude that the promise is not true? Should we excuse the scriptures impractical or unrealistic? Or should we examine ourselves to see if we meet its conditions? Yeah, that's what we should do. So how do we do that? He says, first of all, James says that the fervent prayer avails much. Could it be that we are not as fervent in our prayers as we should be? Fervent prayer means we do not quit easily. It means we purposefully spend sufficient time in intercession. Fervent prayer means we cry out to the Father, sometimes in tears with our heart and soul. It even talks about the verse in Romans 8 where it says that we pray with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit has to take up for us inside of us and say, you know, they, they can't say this, but I'll speak on their behalf because the groanings are so deep. That's fervent prayer. Then he says, secondly, according to James, our righteousness will ensure effective prayer. God's standard of righteousness is different than ours. For he looks beyond our actions, beyond our thoughts, directly to our hearts. How then should we hold ourselves accountable if our prayers are accomplishing little? If nothing happens when we pray, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. For God's word is absolutely reliable. I believe he's right. If you think your prayers are not being answered, you know, if that, you come away, how's your prayer life? My prayers don't get answered. Look at these things in your life. Is there fervency to your prayer? Is there righteousness of the way you live, your lifestyle, your daily actions? And if your prayers are weak or failing, it does not mean that God has abandoned you. It does not mean His promises are worthless. His promises are as sure as ever. Get your heart and your lifestyle right with God. Then we can put full weight or trust and confidence in Him. The final lines of this whole letter, James wrote, verse 17 through 20. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed in the heavens, gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Elijah. Elijah, what an example for man or woman of prayer. Just just person of prayer. Person who walked with God. Person who took everything in their life to God. Which is the lesson James wants to learn. And we think, Elijah was a man just like us. Now, wait a minute. I remember some of the events of Elijah's life. I don't remember anything like that happening in my life. I don't remember going up on Mount Carmel and taking on single-handedly the 850 prophets of Baal. This this is a different league. This is a different level. This is somebody at a higher place. Here's a guy who took his stand for God. We can't imagine ever doing anything the way that Elijah did. So how was he a man like us, James? Then we think a little bit deeper, think a little bit more about Elijah's life. We think about his fears. We think about his anxieties. He begins to look a lot more like us. You remember when some children came out taunting him? He got aggravated. And with the power God had given, he called some bears out of the woods and said, attack those kids. You know, that's not a real godly thing to do. That's not, you know, God was not like, wow, go get them, you know. But those kids have what they deserve. This, This is a kind of a bad thing. Oh, I remember 
after he had the prophets of Baal defeated and killed Mount Carmel, uh, Jezebel threatens his life. Queen Jezebel, King Ahab. They say, you know, you're not going to live till tomorrow. And he runs for his life. And he runs and he runs and he runs for days. And finally he, he lays down exhausted and he just begs God, you know, just let me die. I'm the only one still serving you. He has this big pity party for himself and, and says, you know, I'm the only one doing all this. God, just let me die. This is Elijah. I can identify with an Elijah like that, can't you? And what impresses James then about Elijah is not whether he got everything right, whether he's powerful and always powerful and always on the right side of things. What impresses him is his prayers. His prayers were trusting prayers, confident prayers, uh, bold prayers. A great example of prayer that James uses is something you may know from the story back in 1 Kings when, when uh, he's trying to convince Ahab and the nation of Israel to turn back to God. And Ahab's refusing. Ahab is chasing after all these false gods and goddesses and leading the people deeper and deeper into sin. And, and Elijah's thinking, I've got to get your attention. And this man by himself prays to God that there would be a drought, nationwide drought, and the rain stops. And he says to Ahab, I'm going to pray to God that the rain would stop and it will not start again until I pray that it would start again. Now that's putting yourself on the line, isn't it? You go to the king and say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray that the rain stops and it won't start again until I pray that it will start again. Let's see what happens, king. Is God going to speak to you? Is God going to, to impress you with something here? And the rain stops and for three years there was no rain in Israel. They watched everything dry up. They watched their crops fail and the next year there was nothing but dry, crusty ground to try and plant in again. No rain at all for three years. Everybody's struggling just to survive. And we read other stories of that. And at the end of that time, he says, Okay, Ahab, now I'm going to pray that it'll rain. And as soon as he prayed, the rains started. And they kept coming. Our prayers and concerns have the potential to do something like that. And James wants us to know that if we put confidence in God, God can do whatever God wants to do. And Elijah put himself on the line by praying such a prayer, and then God worked to bring the people back to himself. This was Elijah's aim. This is why he prayed for what he, for what he prayed for. This was his mission. According to verses 19 and 20, the very end of this letter, he says, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring him back. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. One of the greatest things we can do in this life is to bring someone back to God who's a wandering brother, a wandering sister, someone who has lost their faith, someone who is, is you know, struggling and, and drifting and backsliding, we may say. Our prayers for them, our concerns for them have the potential to save that person from death, not just physical death, but eternal death in hell. And James is saying, as we wrap up this letter, as I go through all these different things we've talked about, we're in this. We're praying for one another. We're praying for God to work. Let's pray for each other because prayer for each other is so important. Through prayer, we can change the outcome of another person's life. We spend a lot of our time, a lot of our energy on things that don't really matter in eternity. And too often our prayers are even focused on someone's physical condition. It's okay to pray for those things. 
James says, think about the soul. Think about the spirit of that person. The greater emphasis of our prayer should be on the souls of people who do not know or live for God. So at the end of this Life Apps series, I just want to ask you a question. What does God want you to do? We've learned a lot of different things. We've just learned about prayer today. Just focus on that one topic, upon that one theme. What does God want you to do? Is there something you need to learn today? Something you need to, to correct in your life? Something that, Some step to be made? Do you know? Has He told you? Have you heard from God during this series? Pastor Erwin McManus tells a great story about his son. The first time he learned to recognize God's voice. Now, he'd been teaching him all the way through elementary school. He was able to understand, you know, about faith in Jesus and trusting God and listening for God's voice, knowing when God is trying to tell you to do something. And, you know, the, the boy kept saying, well, what is it going to sound like? What does it sound like when God talks to you? And he says, I don't know exactly how to answer that, but you'll know. You'll know. A few years later, his son Aaron went off to junior high church camp. And in the middle of the week, he went up with another pastor to see the kids, and he learned that his son that very day had assaulted another kid. <laughs> they had a fight. But he was held back by his friends. And, and he went to his son and found that Aaron is unrepentant about it. You know, you know he, got, he deserved what he got, you know, and, and just went all those details. He wanted to leave camp. He wanted to just pack up all of his stuff and shove it in the car and have Dad take him home. He, he was done with it. I'm not going to do anything more about this. Let's just leave. And so he said, okay, before we go, let's have one last talk. And we go over here and talk. He found these two rocks to sit on. And in the middle of the woods, he says, is there, is there any voice telling you what you should do? And Aaron said, yes. Well, what's the voice telling you to do? That I should stay and work it out with the other kid? Can you identify that voice? Erwin asked him. He says, yeah, it's God. And that was the moment he was waiting for. He said, Aaron, do you realize what just happened? For the first time in your life, you know this is God's voice. God is speaking to you what you must do. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else that's happened. God spoke to you, and you're able to recognize him. He says, I'll never forget what Aaron said. He says, well, I'm not going to do what God told me to do. <laughs> and so then he went on. Not as a pastor now, but as a father. I explained to him that that was his choice. He could ignore God. He could go home. I'll take him home. It'd be a big mistake. Because as he grew and God kept trying to speak to him, he would learn greater and greater ways to ignore that voice, not listen to that voice. And his heart would become hard and his ears would become dull. If he continued on this path, there would be a day when he would never again hear the voice of God. There would come a day when he would deny that God even speaks or that he's ever spoken to him. But if on that night he would acknowledge that God had spoken and he would listen to what God said and obey, then his heart would be softened and his ears would always be able to hear the voice of God into his soul. And grateful to say, Aaron chose to stay and work it out. He finished the week of camp, made friends with that person they had fought against. If he had chosen differently, Irwin says, he would have maybe continued 
you know, as a church-going person. He may have been a good person, respected by others. But he would no longer be a close Jesus follower. He would no longer be a person listening to God. God is speaking to your heart today. I know he is. It's not me. It's God speaking to each person here. He's speaking to me today. Are we listening? Are we willing to do whatever he's telling us to do? Let's pray. Father, as we pray to you, as we pray again, as we communicate, you communicate to us. We ask that you would show us individually what you want us to do next. As we have prayer time together today, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ, some that we know very well. There are dear friends that are hurting today. We lift them up. There are some that are joyful today. We praise you with them. There are some that are struggling and that are not not well, physically or spiritually. We pray that you would work within their lives, that they would allow you to speak to their hearts, that they would listen, they are sliding away from you, that they could be restored. For in so doing, they would be saved from death. I pray today that as each of us looks at our own lives, not thinking so much about everyone else now, but ourselves individually, are we hearing your voice? Are we listening? Are we willing to obey? Bless us as we continue worshiping you, as we continue to lift our lives up to you. May we go to you with everything that happens in our lives. May our confidence, our boldness, our trust be in you and you alone. Jesus. We're going to sing a song together today. Um, it's a really simple song. Come, come as you are. Don't come as you aren't, as you pretend to be. Come as you are. And as you do that, we want to be able to pray for you. I'm, I'm going to invite uh, the elders and deacons who want to just come forward, find your way somewhere here at the front. And if you need prayer today, if you would uh, just want one of them to pray individually, we're not going to do that in front of everybody. It's not going to be out where anybody else can hear this. But pick out one of those people and say, here's, here's my need, here's what's going on. Say that briefly, and then let them pray for you in the next uh, few minutes as we do that. We're going to sing together, and uh, you guys come forward. And then uh, if you need prayer of any kind, you come forward also, and we'll pray for you. Okay, please stand.
Oh, 